A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled that you're with us. Got a lot to talk about as we always do. Got a little bit of a shorter show than usual tonight. Um, We're going to end at 6.30 rather than our usual 7 o'clock end time. Because uh, IU is taking on Nebraska at Nebraska. IU, I think somewhat surprisingly, I think Nebraska's one and three. But uh, last time I looked, IU was a five and a half point underdog at Nebraska. So that's a little bit surprising. But uh, well, hey, we'll see what the Hoosiers have to say. But the pregame show is going to start at 630. So produ- producer Carl will be here rolling that for you. But uh, the Gun Guy show will end then right at 630. But we got a, a full 90 minutes to get into, starting with something we heard from our fearless leader, the noble statesman, President Joe Biden, just this last week, talking to, I believe it was Democrats in Congress, and he uh, he talks about how together Democrats have passed meaningful gun control, and then he talks about what he intends to do next and makes a rather bold prediction. Together we passed and signed the first meaningful gun safety law in 30 years. Now we're not stopping there. I'm coming back. We are going to ban assault weapons again. I did it once, and I'm going to do it again. So let's talk about that a little bit. But I hope you could hear that. Um, yeah, pr- producer Carl said he, he cranked it up. We were playing that off of uh, my social media. I posted that link on my Facebook and my Twitter. So you can check that out at Guy Relford on Twitter. Should be the very first thing I've got posted or the last thing. But, uh, yeah, President Biden talking to Democrats in Congress says, hey, we're going to ban assault weapons. He did it once. He's going to do it again. Well, what's he talking about? What is the context of this? And as people who value our Second Amendment rights, as someone who may own an AR-15 or four or so, um, and it clearly that's what is most in the crosshairs, that particular firearm, but it's anything like an AR-15, an AK, it really any semi-automatic rifle uh, or pistol that allows a detachable magazine to be used with it uh, that's a semi-automatic and holds more than a certain number of rounds. And every time we see a so-called assault weapon ban, that tends to jump around. Uh, It could be 10, 15, who knows. There's a version of an assault weapon ban that's already passed the house. Doesn't look to be very viable in the Senate. I don't know that Senate leadership wants to take it up. I know that they don't want to take it up in advance of the midterms. They're coming up here very, very quickly. But let's talk a little bit about an assault weapon ban. He, he's president. He's promising that. That is our president. Is promising another assault weapon ban. He says he did it once. He'll do it again. What's he talking about there? Well, we had an assault weapon ban, quote unquote, in place in this country from 94 to 04. And it banned a whole class of firearms. It it banned the importation and sale of a whole class of firearms that were, again, semi-automatics, and then had a certain number of scary features. And I always laugh about this. I laugh about this when the politicians, the anti-gun politicians, want to try to define what it is that an assault weapon even is. It's so funny. Well, We need to ban assault weapons. And then you'll ask them, well, what's an assault weapon? Wah, wah, wah. And they, they, they always fumble and fall down when you ask them that question. But when they write the legislation, they can define it. In the, I mean, we know because we had a so-called assault weapon ban again on the books for 10 years. By the way, why did it go away? Did Congress go in and repeal it? No. It had a sunset provision in it. It, it, it had 
a provision in the law that said unless Congress renews this after 10 years, then it dies on its own. It falls of its own weight. And that's exactly what happened. Congress did not renew it. But what did it ban? Well, again, semi-automatic firearms that accepted a detachable magazine that also had a certain number of scary features like a pistol grip. The infatuation with a pistol grip, I just don't get. I, it, maybe that's simply because the most common rifles they want to ban, the AR-15, AK-47, can, don't necessarily have to, but most often do have a pistol grip. But then ridiculous things like a barrel shroud. You know what a barrel shroud is? It's basically a perforated piece of metal, metal or a piece of metal with a lot of holes in it, that goes around your barrel that protects you from getting burnt on a hot barrel. <laughs> it doesn't make the gun any more lethal. It doesn't make the gun any more effective. It might look a little scarier to people who don't understand guns. Then they'll talk about a, uh, a a bayonet lug. I always laugh about that one. I mean, how many people do you see walking around with a bayonet on their AR? Hey, if you want to have a bayonet on your AR, it's currently legal. But I laugh about that a little bit because it's not particularly c- common feature or accessory that people put on their ARs or their other semi-automatic rifles. But EGADs, that's scary, so got to be banned. Or a threaded barrel. A threaded barrel that simply allows different muzzle devices to be put on the gun, including a suppressor. And why the fear over suppressors? I've never understood. It's been in the National Firearms Act in 1934 since 1934. Because I think Congress had this idea of ninja assassins sneaking through people's windows and assassinating them in the middle of the night using their suppressors. Do you know how many times suppressors have been used in crimes ever in this country? It's literally a handful. You can find some if you look hard enough. There was actually one workplace shooting in, I want to say, Pennsylvania, where a guy used a 45 pistol that had a suppressor on it. But it is incredibly rare. It's just not something that happens. It's not something to be particularly concerned about. Even Europe, even Great Britain, that is completely backwards on gun rights, completely backwards on our freedoms associated with the possession and use of firearms, they actually require the use of suppressors in some situations. Why? Because it makes you a good neighbor. It helps you protect your hearing, and it helps you not, Disturb those around you. It's great for hunters. In fact, we legalized using suppressors for hunting in Indiana, oof, I want to say 2013, maybe 2015, not that long ago. A lot of hunters love a suppressor. Why? They don't have to wear big, bulky hearing protection sitting out in the woods. It allows them to hear what's around them, including potentially incoming game. It gets to the point where they can then protect their hearing if and when they're ready to shoot. It doesn't disturb other game that may be in the area, and it doesn't alert game that may be available to other hunters who are in the area. It just makes sense. It makes you literally a good neighbor helps you protect your hearing. But oh no, Congress egads. So if your semi-automatic rifle has a threaded barrel, (gasps) that is one of those things that makes it an assault weapon. But it's a, it's a little silly, no question. Why did the prior assault weapon die in 1994? Again, our beloved president, brilliant man that he is, comes out and says, I did it once, I'll do it again. You know, why? And what are the prospects? And, and how ultimately would that even be defined? And then what we're going to get into here a little, little bit later in the show is let's say it makes it w- its way through Congress. Obviously, Biden would sign it. Despite the fact that it died in 2004, and it died for very legitimate reasons. Why did it die? Because there were studies done. One study done by the National Institute of Justice. That is essentially the scientific wing, the scientific branch of the Department of Justice. The National Institute of Justice went out and commissioned a study, did a study, on the effect of the 10-year, quote-unquote, assault weapon ban from 94 to 04 to say, all right, 
did we do any good with this thing? It was a, a great political victory for Biden and, and the Democrats. Diane Feinstein loves to tout that. She was heavily involved as well. Another brilliant politician, quote unquote, from San Francisco, as producer Carl laughs. So why wasn't it renewed? Well, in part, because the National Institute of Justice went back and looked and said, because so-called assault weapons are used in such a small percentage of crimes to begin with, less than 2%, somewhere around 1.5% of murders, for instance, that because they are used in such an incredibly small percentage of crimes, and in murders in particular, that were the, the assault weapon ban set to expire in 2004 to be extended, the conclusion of the National Institute of Justice, this is not a pro-2A organization. This is not the NRA. It's not Gun Owners of America. It's not my organization, the 2A Project, which did not exist then. It's the National Institute of Justice, part of the Department of Justice. They said, were we to extend this beyond 2004, say for another 10 years, the effect would likely be, quote, too small to measure. Too small to measure. And in no small part, because of that conclusion, it was not renewed. It was not renewed for that very specific reason. And now suddenly... And now suddenly, the pitch we hear from politicians, including Joe Biden, is that, well, we have to do this to keep our children safe in schools, to prevent mass shootings. Does that make any sense to you? Does that make any sense to you when we're talking about such an incredibly small percentage of crimes overall? Of course, it makes no sense. It doesn't stop them from saying it. But we'll talk a little bit more about what the prospects are for getting this passed and then get into a, a more interesting discussion, in my mind, which is, were they to pass it, what would this Supreme Court have to say about a so-called assault weapon ban? But right now, we're taking a break. Give us a call, as always. We love taking calls from our listeners, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And I'll tell you what, the uh, phone lines have absolutely lit up so let's go right to the phone lines and our pal buzz has called in buzz welcome back to the gun guy show hey good afternoon guy how you doing doing good what, what you got for us okay there's a guy john law yeah from the uh, crime prevention research center i know him well in fact he's been a frequent guest on the show okay he he has the whole breakdown of all the the statistics and everything uh-huh. a great wealth of information yeah but Right now, even he is having problems with this uh, Department of Justice getting the information that he's been having, trying to get. I don't understand your point. The Department of Justice getting what information? The statistics that he's been asking for. For uh-huh. some reason, they're they're kind of blocking him off and not giving him the FOIA requests and yeah and and buzz that, that doesn't surprise me much really i mean the the biden fbi the biden uh department of justice which, which obviously the fbi is part of the department of justice um atf i mean they've really been weaponized against the american people and i hate to say that you know and i'm sure the rank and file i'm sure the people you know who um who who are you know younger uh, who've joined FBI or ATF you know wanting to do in some cases a dangerous job um i'm sure a lot of the the rank and file uh, folks are great but the lifers the administration uh the people running those organizations um they're taking their marching orders directly from this very anti-gun administration and i have people i have good friends of mine who own gun stores and they've had they're ATF guys who come in. You know, they're, they're ATF people essentially assigned to different regions, or you know, including different gun stores. And 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 historically, their job has been to come in and, and help the gun stores stay on the right side of the law. You know, to help them with the regs, to help them with the paperwork, to make sure they um, that they they keep their federal firearms license. And and one such ATF agent told a good friend of mine who owns a gun store. He said, you know, my job has changed. He said, my marching orders now are to find a reason to put you out of business. 
It used to be just the opposite. It used to be trying to, to help, you know, people who want to be law-abiding, people who want to run a lawful FFL business, you know, a gun store, gun dealer. They want to keep their licenses. Now they're, they're now being told, no, my job is to find some excuse to take your license away from you. And the fact that Department of Justice is, is, is not wanting to supply statistics to a great researcher like John Lott. Again, you want to see some fabulous studies. He's, he's the author of More Guns, Less Crime. Very, very important book that documents where uh, there's, there's less restrictive gun control, you have less crime because more law-abiding citizens are able to defend themselves. But, but far beyond that book, and that book's been out for quite some time, there are tremendous studies on a lot of different subjects um, that the Crime Prevention Research Center puts out. So just Google that, Crime Prevention Research Center, or John Lott and Crime Prevention Research Center, and see some of the really cool studies that he puts out there. And it's really good stuff. And, you know, in fact, I'm proud to say John Lott, and I forget where he's based. I want to say Minnesota or somewhere. Um, it's somewhere, I think, in the Midwest, but not all that close to Indiana. He actually came to Indiana um, and testified and, and brought some really impressive statistics from those states that had already adopted constitutional carry. He came and, and testified for constitutional carry this year and, 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 and was helpful in, uh, in us getting that passed. So a big deal. And, uh, and he's a good guy. And, uh, and Buzz uh, is smart to follow him and check out what he publishes there on the website at Crime Prevention Research Center. Let's go back to the phone lines. we got Mike. Mike, you got a question? Yes, um, I've been reading a little bit about uh, the ATF's uh, looming ban on pistol braces. Yeah, it's, it's just, not so much a just, ban, but I know what you're talking about exactly. Yeah, I, how, how critical is that going to be to be um, in compliance, like when it comes time to register that item? Is this is this going to go ahead and go on through, or is somebody fighting this? Well, no, I mean, it's, it's what is out there for comment. And I believe it's been finalized, and we're just waiting on the effective date, I believe, is the status of that, Mike. I've not looked at it in the last couple of weeks. But what this is, for people who don't know, um, there, you know, you can have like an AR pistol, meaning um, it doesn't have a shoulder stock. But what uh, has been out there now for a number of years are called pistol stabilizer braces. And, 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 and what they're intended for, and, and the reason that historically they have not converted a pistol to a rifle. And this is important because if you have a rifle with a barrel shorter than 16 inches, then that's a short-barreled rifle. And it has to be registered under the NFA, the National Firearms Act, in 1934. You have to pay your $200 stamp. Um, or you're looking at 10 years in federal prison. So to answer Mike's question about how important it is, it depends on how, how important 10 years in federal prison is to you. So it's very important. And... Uh, but the reason historically braces have not converted uh, pistols to rifles is because the, the, the intended purpose of them is that for them to actually wrap around your forearm, and typically they have a strap, a Velcro strap is, is the most common design, that fits around your forearm. And it's to help you shoot a somewhat heavy, quote-unquote, pistol with one hand. Then the question became, well, you know, a lot of them kind of look like shoulder stocks, and the way they're built, they're pretty useful to put against your shoulder and use as a stock. And the question became, well, if you put it against your shoulder and use it as a stock, now do you have a short-barreled rifle that needs to be registered? And historically, ATF has said no. And so a lot of people put braces on their AR pistols so they don't have to register them as short-barreled rifles, don't have to pay the $200 tax stamp, I don't have to do all the other paperwork associated with having an NFA item. That and and and, and to be honest with you, it, it's it's somewhat of a workaround around the NFA, and it's one of those things where the firearms industry perhaps could be accused of getting a little too cute by half, because a lot of people put them on fully intending to use them as stocks, and just avoid the hassle of having to register a short-barreled rifle. And you see people using them at the range and, and, and whatnot, you know, like stocks. And then you know, very rare. I don't know that I've ever been out shooting somewhere at a public range or in a class um, where I've seen someone using a brace actually as a brace with it strapped around their forearm. Now, again, it's a great argument, including that people with disabilities, um, you know, are, are better able to shoot an AR pistol with a pistol brace on it. And I'm sure some people use it that way. I take nothing away from that. But 
it's a situation where now ATF has come out and said, no, okay, we're not going to anymore just say that putting a brace on your AR, it's not just ARs, it could be AK, it could be, I mean, I have a SIG MPX 9mm that when I bought it had a brace on it. Now, I've never trusted the ATF on braces, so I went ahead and put a stock on it and it just registered as an, as an SBR because I've never, ever, ever trusted the ATF on braces. I knew they were going to do something, and lo and behold, now they have. But they haven't just banned them, and they haven't said all braces on your otherwise um, short-barreled rifle or what is now a pistol, that it necessarily always converts your pistol to a short-barreled rifle and you have to register it. What they've done in this new regulation, and it's almost incomprehensible, is they've come out with this score sheet and this point system that they look at a whole bunch of factors in in terms of the actual design of the brace itself, the weight of the pistol, the barrel length of the pistol, the caliber of the pistol, to where the longer it is, the heavier it is, the bigger caliber it is, you get more and more points. And if you have over a certain number of points, voila, it's a short-barreled rifle and has to be registered. But the point system, including some of this very amorphous stuff of you know the design of the brace, um, is really tough to figure out as you're going through it. And I think what they're doing is they're just trying to bully as many people as possible into registering their pistols as SBRs. Now, again, I've already done that. I've bought probably three firearms that had braces on them when I bought them. Um, or were just pistols with no brace or stock. And I've just registered them as SBRs because I'd rather be done with it and know that um, that I'm never going to be subject to the whim of the ATF. But that's what's going on, and that and I think the effective date on that is coming right up. So everybody's going to have to make a decision for themselves. Now, I've also heard about an amnesty period where they'll waive the $200 fee for the tax stamp, again, trying to get more people to register them. Now, it's not paranoid to say that once they have all these registered as SBRs, that when and if we get an assault weapon ban in this country, and if the courts uphold it, two very big ifs, huge ifs. In fact, I would bet against either one of those happening. That is, uh, even getting an assault weapon passed anytime soon, or it being upheld in the courts. But if it were to happen, won't the government love the fact that we've all run out and registered these as SBRs because they know right where they are. They know who owns them. They know your address. They know right where to come if and when we ever get an actual ban on the books. And that's not being paranoid, folks. Uh, It's a registration system through NFA, and invariably registration leads in one direction. And history bears me out on that. I'll tell you, we're past the bottom of the hour, so we're taking a break. We come back. We've got several people still on hold. We'll go back to the phone lines when we come back. Join the discussion, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back to The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. As we talked about at the top of the hour, President Biden came out and said, He's going to ban assault weapons. He said he did it before, which Democrats did, 94 to 04. We had one. National Institute of Justice came out and said that the effect on crime and murder in particular was too small to measure because of the incredibly small percentage that so-called assault assault weapons. Again, if you hear me use that term, assault weapon, please know I've got air quotes around it, right? Because people, you know, people always, you know, post memes and whatnot, and they'll say, okay, this is a rock. Now it's an assault rock because you, they, somebody, you know, hit somebody with it. I get it. Um, so it's a political term. It's made up to demonize the most commonly owned line of rifles uh, and pistols uh, in America. Literally, the most common. I'll get into some of those numbers here in a minute. So he says he's going to ban them. Well, what are the prospects of that? And would the courts uphold it? But in the meantime, we've had a whole bunch of people continue to call in. Let's go back to the phone lines. We've got John. John, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Yeah, I, I agree with you that the uh, assault weapons, it's, it's a very poor choice of very poor choice of words. And Democrats have used it for a long time. And it, to, to me, it means semi-automatic weapons. Yeah. But I, 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 I'd like to address the uh, well-regulated part of the Second Amendment. And that doesn't get, and I know you mentioned it earlier in your show, some of those with the pistol grip or rifle grip, whatever. I mean, that, that's part of that. I'll, I'll give you that. What, really, what, do you think, what do you think well-regulated means in the Second Amendment, John? Well, to me, I, I would interpret, I, I don't think an ordinary citizen needs to own a uh, 
semi-automatic oh, weapons. Oh, so right? now, now it's not the Bill of Rights, it's the Bill of Needs. That's what you're telling me? Well, can you own an Abrams tank? Sure, absolutely. And, and you know what? At the time the really, Second Amendment, at the time the Second Amendment was written, John, um, they commissioned warships owned by private citizens to go out and sink British warships. Sure, you can own a tank. Absolutely, you can. And you have to register it as a destructive device. You bet. And let me tell you, if you're telling me that well-regulated in the Second Amendment means regulated by the government, I will tell you that not only are you absolutely wrong. You don't have to rely on me to believe that. You can rely on the Supreme Court of the United States. Well-regulated, as it was written in the Second Amendment, as it was intended, and, and as it was understood at the time of the writing of the Second Amendment, meant well-functioning, like a well-regulated clock keeps good time. That's what well-regulated means. So a militia is well-regulated when it's equipped, when it's trained, when it's efficient, when it's capable of doing its job, which is to defend liberty in this country. So don't ever call the gun guy show and tell me well-regulated means regulated by the government because that's flat wrong, and the Supreme Court backs me up on that, as well as thousands, hundreds certainly, if not thousands of, of documents written at the time of the founding. And I know, I know because I've researched it and I've read it, and the Supreme Court has done the same thing. In addition, don't ever call me and tell me what I need. It's not the Bill of Needs. It's the Bill of Rights. And as soon as you or the government can start telling us what we need— then it becomes a privilege, not a right. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand the Constitution. But thanks for calling. Let's go back to the phone lines, and we've got David. David, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Hey, how you doing, Guy? Good, man. You doing all right? Oh, yeah. I'm doing great. Uh, yeah, I was uh, saying to your call screener that, you know, what what's an assault weapon, like you were saying earlier, assault rock, Salt baseball bat, and whatever you pick up is an assault weapon. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and, and look, David, I agree with you. And I was talking about people, you know, posting memes going, okay, now this is an assault rock, and, you know, I, and I, or, you know, or, or a baseball bat. Now, you know, it, it's, it's used to play baseball until you hit somebody upside the head with it. Now it's an assault bat. I get it, and that's why it's a silly term. Um, but as I said earlier, it's just meant to demonize the most popularly, popularly owned rifles in America. And, but when they write the legislation, they define it. I mean, to say that no one can define an assault weapon, we have to be careful as pro-2A advocates when we say that because it's not quite true because they do define it when they write the assault weapon ban. There was a definition of assault weapon in the 94 ban. There's a definition of assault weapon in the bill that passed the House earlier this session. So they define it. They say it's a semi-automatic rifle that accepts a detachable magazine that holds more than a certain number of rounds and has a certain number of scary, at least one now in the most recent version, scary features like a pistol grip or a threaded barrel, or a barrel shroud, or a bayonet lug, or any of these other ridiculous features that do nothing to really increase the lethality of the firearm. But, but we do ourselves a disservice. I agree with you. It's a silly term. But we do ourselves a disservice when we say nobody can define it, because the, the gun control proponents define it when they write the statutes. I mean, then, like I said, a bill has passed the House that has a, 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 a definition of assault weapon in it. So they can define it when they sit down to write the legislation. What's a little funny is even when the, the anti-Second Amendment politicians, even like this David Chipman who was up uh, to run the ATF, when he went through his confirmation hearing, he was asked during the hearings, you would think he would have been prepared to address this question? You know, just say, anticipating what questions he might get from the Judiciary Committee in the Senate. But he was asked to define assault weapon after he came out and said, yes, I want to ban them. And he couldn't define it. And he looked like a complete buffoon at the time. Uh, but let's go back to the phone lines here quickly before we have to take a break. And we got our buddy Kelly from Avon. Hey, Kelly, how you doing, my man? I am doing real good. How are you doing, guy? Doing well, man. It's good to hear from you. I tell you what, um, since we're on the radio, I'll phrase it this way. This stuff never ends. <laughs> no. It, it no. is. Uh, we're and, dealing and I, with I, an administration that has shown a blatant disregard to constitutionality, whether it was from the uh, the rent moratorium. Yeah. And then you've got, uh, yeah, I'll just uh, write, write off all these uh, college loans, which they don't have the authority to do, but don't seem to care about it. Yeah, you know, so, that, that is interesting because when I read, when I listened to that clip, Kelly, that I played at the top of the show about him saying, I'm going to ban them again. I mean, why wouldn't he feel compelled? 
and I know he plagiarized himself through law school, so we, we, we understand that. But, but, but as someone who at least went to law school, it, I was assuming he sat at least a couple of days in a constitutional law class somewhere before he uh, used someone else's paper to, to pass the class. But, I mean, you would think he would be compelled to address whether or not what he wants to do is constitutional. And that doesn't seem to matter to him at all. And by the way, here at this show, I'm going to get specifically into the likelihood that this Supreme Court would uphold a quote-unquote assault weapon ban. So I agree with you completely. We're going to get into that. We have a little bit of a short show, but we're going to get into that uh, here after the top of the hour. Yep, that's uh, when you're looking at the Bruin decision oh, yeah. and EPA v. West Virginia, which I think oh, yeah. in this case would even even carry more weight and, and still be willing to come out and say, we're going to do this. And that, uh, That's very, very true, Kelly. And I'll tell you what, buddy, I, uh, producer Carl is uh, giving me the shut the hell up signal. <laughs> that, that, that's, that, that's fancy radio talk. Um, but I need to get into a break. We'll come back for kind of a, a short session. We've still got a couple people on hold. Donovan was talking about ghost guns, quote unquote. Be glad to talk about that. Um, but get into what we anticipate happening in Congress on President Biden's promise to ban assault weapons. What are what are the numbers in terms of whether we are able to establish that so-called assault weapons, including the, the, the AR-15, is, quote, commonly used for lawful purposes? That's a test that the Heller decision gave us in 2008. What are the numbers? Are, are AR-15s commonly used for lawful purposes? Uh, something John ought to think about in telling me that I don't need them. We'll get into some of those distinct, uh, some of those uh, issues, and uh, and as well as the constitutionality argument as well. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We okay there, Carl? Yeah, <laughs> we had our bumper music kind of end abruptly there, but I, I think I think we're good. Um, so, what is the test defined by the Supreme Court? John called in and, and said, well, it ought to be what you need. That's nah, not quite how the Constitution's written. Now, I don't have to justify a need to worship in the church of my choice under the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. I don't have to exercise a need to publish my thoughts on the Internet as protected by the First Amendment. I don't have to justify a need to be protected against unreasonable searches and seizures of my home. People say, oh, well, I don't care if the FBI comes and kicks my door in. I've got nothing to hide. You think that's the point? Having something to hide isn't the point. Our rights are protected by the Constitution because they're rights that the founders believed to be inalienable. Granted to us by the, our maker. Exactly as were said, as, as was said very clearly in the Declaration of Independence. We are endowed with certain inalienable rights. They're rights. I don't have to justify a need to exercise a right. So what does that right extend to with respect to firearms? Okay. Well, the... Supreme Court in the Heller v. D.C. case in 2008 said it's those firearms that are commonly used for lawful purposes. Now, that would suggest that if the government wanted to ban me from having a Abrams tank, then they could do so, right? Because they're not commonly used for lawful purposes, but that law hasn't passed. But in terms of so-called assault weapons, what are those numbers? Well, the NSSF, that's the National Shooting Sports Foundation. They're really the advocacy group, the, the organization for the firearms industry. They came out and they said that their estimate of numbers in the U.S. today of AR and AK-style firearms is approximately 24 million. 24 million. And they compared that to there are more of those than there are Ford F-Series trucks on the road today. And with that, we'll break for the top of the hour. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back to The Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. As we've been talking about here just this past week, last 24 hours, President Biden came out and said, we're going to ban 
quote-unquote, assault weapons. And we've been talking a lot about the prospects of that happening. Now, this would take an act of Congress. And I think that's additionally true even since a Supreme Court case came down this last session. And and my buddy Kelly from Avon mentioned this uh, during his call, but this EPA versus West Virginia case talks about the limitation on the ability of regulatory agencies. I mean, the agency in that case obviously was EPA. But it talks about unless they've gotten a very express delegation of authority from Congress that gives them certain powers to regulate in a particular area, absent that very specific and express delegation of authority from Congress, they can't just make up the rules on their own. Legislation has to go through Congress. And even though that was a case involving the EPA, the, the, the court's decision applies to ATF or any other federal agency just as much as it does to the EPA. And that's, and that's why it was such an important decision, even though it didn't directly, immediately influence gun rights. So if President Biden wants to do what he says he's going to do, again, he came out with a very bold statement. We are going to do it again. We did it from 94 to 04. We're going to do it again. Well, that's going to take it getting through Congress. Now, the House has done their part. The House of Representatives in Congress has passed a quote-unquote assault weapon bill, very broad. Defines assault weapons more broadly than the 94 ban did. It would ban importation. It would ban any transfer. That's where it also is broader than the 94 ban. So it doesn't outlaw guns already in the hands of people on the effective date of that law, if it were to pass and be signed into law by Biden. So it grandfathers in existing guns, but it prohibits all transfers. So what would happen to those 24 million AR and AK style rifles when their owners eventually die off if they can't be transferred? Ah, that's when it becomes an actual ban. So it's very broad. Now, what's the likelihood the Senate's going to pick it up and pass it? Now, again, Democrats have a one-vote majority. It's 50-50, but the vice president, our beloved Kamala Harris, would break a tie. So they have a one-vote majority in the Senate. But currently, under current Senate rules, unless they would suspend them and change these rules, something I think most are hesitant to do, or at least a lot, Frankly, you only need one. You need a Joe Manchin from West Virginia or a Kirsten Cinema from Arizona to say, no, it's a bad idea, because under current rules, they would need 60 votes in the Senate to end debate and call up such a ban, even the current ban that's passed the House in the Senate. Do they have 60 votes? Oh, hell no. And in those battleground states where even Democrats are running for election or re-election, where citizens still value their Second Amendment rights. How much do you think those senators want to go back and say they voted for an assault weapon ban, quote-unquote, to take the most commonly owned rifles in America away from Americans? Uh, they, they want nothing to do with it. I do not see this Senate doing anything with a so-called assault weapon ban. And I think the Republicans take back the House. So I don't think it gets through Congress in anywhere close to its current form. I don't think banning firearms is going to happen with this Congress. That becomes less likely dramatically if this session ends, this Congress ends, and the Republicans actually have a majority in the House next session because they'd have to start it all over again. Ain't going to happen with Republicans with a majority in the House even if it were to pass and President Biden were to sign it into law? What's the likelihood this Supreme Court would uphold it? Well, again, if an AR-15 is the most commonly owned rifle in America, how can you not say it's commonly owned for lawful purposes? That's the test in Heller for what arms are protected. No, John, not for what arms you need, what arms you can demonstrate a need for or that some government official 
is going to decide whether or not you need that particular firearm. That's not the definition. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in the Second Amendment. And sure as hell not in the Heller decision. It's commonly owned for lawful purposes. And if an AR-15 is the most commonly owned rifle in America, how do you get around the idea that it's commonly owned for lawful purposes? So it's clearly protected by the Second Amendment. Separately. The Bruin case that also came down this year from the Supreme Court. Now, again, you've heard me talk about that case before if you're a listener of the Gun Guy Show. It just dealt with the fact that New York's licensing system for pistols, for handguns, was unconstitutional because it essentially didn't allow or didn't recognize a right to carry a handgun outside the home because of how incredibly limited it was where you had to demonstrate, yes, a need <laughs> to get a pistol license. You had to have some particularized threat against you over and above the general desire of the general population to defend your life, defend yourself, defend your family. No, no, that wasn't good enough under New York's licensing system. You had, you had to satisfy a government official that you had a need, a particularized need specific to you, like being under an active threat of someone trying to kill you. Even say, no, I, I live in a bad neighborhood. Not good enough. I have a high-risk business where I carry lots of cash or I carry jewels to and from my jewelry store. Not good enough. Basically, you had an active threat against you. Someone was trying to hurt you is really how it was interpreted. And the Supreme Court set that aside, that this, this idea of demonstrating a need to exercise a right is unconstitutional. I wish people would understand that a little better. If you're a frequent listener of the Gun Guy Show, I'm sure you do. But more importantly, because again, I'm sure that's an important decision to the people in New York and, and the eight or so other states that have a May issue system, Hawaii, New Jersey, and others, Maryland, they're, I'm sure, very glad as well that their May issue system is going to eventually have to be turned into a shall issue system. Meaning, if unless they're a prohibited possessor, unless they're prohibited from getting a license specifically, they get a license. Indiana has had that system since 1980. That was, again, because of a court decision, not because of the legislature. The legislature caught up in 1983 in Indiana. But we've had a shall issue system here for some time. But again, I'm sure the people in New York think that's great. And the people in the other formerly May issue licensing states. But why do the rest of us care about Bruin? It's because of the analysis the court said, the Supreme Court said, is the proper analysis in determining what's constitutional and what's not under the Second Amendment. Because for years, lower courts, talking about the Ninth Circuit, talking about the Second Circuit, you're talking about these liberal federal circuit judges, these panels, they've gotten around Heller by applying this balancing test. And if you hear people talk about levels of scrutiny that are, that are to be uh, used in determining constitutionality under the Second Amendment, and this balancing test looks at the impact of the regulation on the, on the right, it talks about whether it dramatically impacts a core value protected by the right. And depending on the level of infringement, see, it's bizarre to me that we even talk about levels of infringement being okay. That was, that, was, that was the interpretation, though, these lower courts have been using. didn't come from the Supreme Court. They adopted that on their own. But this level of scrutiny business, this balancing test, would say, well, if there's a compelling state interest, like to, oh, say, keep people safe, then some level of infringement was okay. And we can, we can do this balancing to say, no, even though a arm, a, a gun in particular, is commonly owned for lawful purposes under Heller, under this, this analysis of what level of scrutiny you apply, this balancing test, those can still be constitutional. The Bruin decision said, no, 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 that's not the analysis. We've never said that was the analysis. We don't know where that came from. That's not the analysis. You look at text, history, and tradition. You look at what the Constitution says. You look at the history of how it's been applied. And you look at traditional regulation in that area to see what has been deemed to be acceptable and constitutional. There is no way, I'm telling you right now, folks, there is zero way 
this Supreme Court looks at a so-called assault weapon ban and concludes both that it does not impact arms commonly used for lawful purposes or that the text, history, and tradition of Second Amendment law in this country supports an assault weapon ban. Won't happen, can't happen. You have Justice Kavanaugh, who has already written an opinion. It was a dissenting opinion when he was on the D.C. Circuit that said an assault weapon ban is unconstitutional. And that was even under prior law before Bruin. So when President Biden looks at that camera and says, I'm going to do it again, I'm going to pass another assault weapon ban, somebody, like, oh, say, the attorney general, supposed to be the lead attorney in the country, might want to be whispering in his ear going, you know, we got a problem with that boss because it ain't going to make its way through SCOTUS. Just a thought. Right now we're taking a break. We'll come back. We're, we're wrapping up early this week because uh, the pregame for the, the IU-Nebraska uh, game that's going to be uh, kickoff at 7.30. But uh, we're, the pregame starts at 6.30, so we're ending a little early. So we'll come back and wrap up this show. Donovan's been holding for a damn long time. We'll take Donovan's call uh, and wrap up this show when we come back. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back to the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. As we wrap this show up, again, a little early for the uh, pregame show that's coming on relative to the IU-Nebraska game. And I'll tell you what, we've had Donovan on hold for for damn ever. Uh, and Donovan, the man, thanks for your patience, buddy. What you got for us? Hey, uh, my question is about ghost guns. Yeah, they yeah. passed a uh, law, I guess, for to stop the manufacture of ghost guns. Well, it's a new regulation, and this goes back to our discussion of what the ATF can do without Congress having passed anything. Um, but it's new ATF regulations directed at so-called ghost guns. So, did you just want a general explanation, Donovan, or did you have a more specific question about that? No, I was just wondering if there's anything that's applied to people who presently have ghost guns. No, no, it's a good question. You don't have to run out and register anything. Um, if if you would want to transfer it through an, NF, an FFL, the FFL would have to put a serial number on it. That's part of the new regulation. But really, I've never understood that part of the new regulation because if someone has built their own unserialized firearms, and by the way, I'll, let me explain what a quote-unquote ghost gun is. If, if you're new to the Gun Guy show or, or the, you've not heard us use that term before, um, again, it's another political term, and it's made up to sound scary um, so they can demonize uh, firearms that they want to regulate. But what it is is it's always been legal in the U.S. to build your own firearm. And you know, a lot of our innovation on new firearm technology has come from people you know, tinkering around in their home machine shop um, and, or people designing things on their own. So you can build your own firearm. That has then led to the development of people selling unfinished lower receivers primarily and AR-style rifles primarily. You see some with AKs as well and others. <clears throat> you see them with uh, Glock handguns, you know, the so-called polymer 80 and whatnot, where unfinished lower receivers, where if it's been less than 80% finished and people will take that and finish milling it out, finish machining it themselves, and then add all the other parts to it that are required to build a firearm, they've got a functioning firearm that has no serial number on it because only the complete lowers or the more than 80% complete lowers have to be serialized. So because they have no serial numbers on them, the authorities who want to regulate them have labeled them ghost guns because they, they can't be traced with a serial number. And so Donovan's asking if he's built one from an 80% lower um, or maybe machined as lower completely out of a block of aluminum. I mean, I know people who have the wherewithal and the technology and the equipment to do that. Um, it's still it's still legal for you to have that. Um, what really, again, what applies to you is if you were to transfer it the, to, through an FFL, the FFL would have to put a serial number on it before selling it. But what I started to say is that what's been legal is to build your own unserialized firearm at home for personal use only. And you actually can't transfer it. It's prohibited. Because as soon as you transfer it, it's not for personal use only. 
So I don't know how people would transfer unserialized firearms through ghost guns because that uh, that removes the protection they had, which was for personal use only. But what the new regulations do, because you have Biden and other anti-gun people coming out going, oh, my God, we're seeing ghost guns at crime scenes. And look, I've seen reports and I've talked to law enforcement, uh, some people that I trust who said, yes, they found them at some crime scenes and they can't trace some of the serial number. Okay, well, that's led then to these new regulations. Primarily what the new regulations say is that the, the, the manufacturers of kits, where they basically give you everything you need to build your firearm. They have instructions. They have templates. Um, they have other components. That they have to sell those with serialized lowers. Now, that's the biggest impact. Originally, as written originally, it looked like they were going to, de- going to define both the upper receiver of an AR-style rifle and the lower receiver, both as receivers that would have to have serial numbers on them, which was going to be very confusing because when I buy a lower receiver, I have to pass a background check. Then I buy an upper receiver that I want to use on that lower that I've already bought, and it's got a serial number on it too. I, what, I have to go through two background checks to build one rifle? And then what's the serial number for that rifle? It's got two. And, 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 and how's that going to be managed? And before the final rule came out, enough people expressed disapproval with that in the comment period for the new regulation that ATF in the final rule uh, backed up on that. And upper receivers now of AR-style rifles don't have to come with a serial number on them. But the kits, and if you sell those kits now are going to be regulated as firearms. Anybody who sells 80% lowers probably going to be required to put serial numbers on those as well. And and people that don't have FFLs and want to sell these kits are not going to be able to do so because they now have to be federal firearms licensees because they're now deemed to be selling firearms, not unfinished firearms that don't qualify as firearms. So if it has to be a serialized part now, because it's a firearm, you got to be an FFL to sell it. Those are the big changes that are going to be brought in because of this. Do I think this is going to really influence crime? Do I think it's going to have any effect uh, at all on that? No, I don't think so. But, hey, uh, um, it, it, it's one that as we look at it, uh, we'll see how it uh, how it affects the law-abiding citizen, which is always the test. Tell you what, we got a hard out. That's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you come back. This is Guy Relford on WIBC.